You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. One of our goals as a church, we want to raise up pastors to send them out to either plant or replant other churches. And so Mike is going to be sharing God's word from us as we continue on our journey through John chapter, uh, the gospel of John in John chapter 16. Yeah. So, we're, as he said, we're continuing our, our study of the Gospel of John. We'll be going to John chapter 16, verses 16 to 24. And if, you've got, if you don't have a Bible with you, we do have the pew Bibles that are there available in front of you. If you don't have your own Bible, that's our gift to you. You can keep that. And for the sake of speed, it's on page 589 if you're using the pew, pew Bible. Um, show of hands, does anybody have some idea in their minds that you look back at as the good old days? Just sometime in your past, it's the, the good old days. It's, um, I think a lot of us have that in our minds, some, some point in our pasts where, that we see in hindsight as the best part of our lives. Now, it can be different from person to person. Maybe it's high school, maybe it's college, 20s, 30s, 40s, whatever. Almost everybody, I think, has some point that they kind of look back with nostalgia as that's the, that's the best part of my life. And... The thing is, we rarely know that we're in those times when we're in them. Uh, A few years ago, there was a TV show that came to an end called The Office. You may or may not have seen it. It's on Netflix. Um, But in the series finale, the last episode, looking back at nine seasons of, of good times, one of the characters says, I wish there was a way to know that you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. And that's true. We, we don't know we're living the good old days until we're looking back at them. Um, but there's something about us as Christians. We have good old days as Christians, but they're ahead of us, not behind us. Uh, so we're going to look at this passage. Jesus is going to talk some about this. So we're going to be looking at, again, John chapter 16, verses 16 to 24. And start off, I'm going to read through verse 19, so read with me. A little while, and you will no longer see me. Again a little while, and you will see me. Then some of his disciples said to one another, What is this he's telling us? A little while, and you will not see me? Again a little while, and you will see me? And because I'm going to the Father? They said, What is this he is saying? A little while. We don't know what he's talking about. Jesus knew they wanted to ask him, and so he said to them, Are you asking one another about what I said? A little while, and you will not see me? Again, a little while, and you will see me? The disciples were confused. Jesus said this thing, a little while you'll not see me, again a little while and you will see me. They didn't understand what he was saying. So just, that's just the basic setup here, and, but just a little, little mini lesson here for us. If you're confused about something, if you read something in scripture or hear something preached that, that doesn't make sense to you, you don't understand, it confuses you, ask about it. Look it up, do, do whatever. It's a lot better to you know, seek information than to just leave things unanswered, leave questions unanswered, leave things confused. That can have, you know, that can be damaging. But so yeah, just if something doesn't stick for you, ask about it. There, there's lots of people you can talk to. There's the internet, if you're careful. Uh, there's, there's a lot of resources to, to have things cleared up. So the disciples were confused. They're asking this question among themselves. They're not asking Jesus, but Jesus, being God, knows that they have this question and is going to address it for them. So verses 20 through 22, read with me. We're going to see what Jesus has to say back. 
Truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy from you. So Jesus responds to this question that they didn't ask him, uh, but it's, and it's a mixed bag here, right? There's, there's bad news here. There's, there's some good news too, but, but overall, the, the bulk of this is, it, it doesn't sound great. Uh, so verse 20, just, just go, let's go, just go verse by verse here. Verse 20, there's bad stuff coming. How do we know there's bad stuff coming? Because what he's telling the disciples, you're going to weep. You're going to mourn. I don't know about you guys. I usually don't weep and mourn when things are going well. That usually means something, something bad has happened. And we see here, the world will rejoice. Now, again, we see this a lot in scriptures. We talk about the world. That's not talking about every single human being on the planet Earth. It's a shorthand for the world that is opposed to Christ. People who don't follow Christ, don't believe in Christ, we're opposites. So if the disciples are going to be weeping and mourning, the world that's opposed is going to be rejoicing, the opposite. And then he says again, you will be sorrowful. It's not you might be sorrowful, the way he's talking here. It's definite. It's going to happen. You will be sorrowful. That doesn't get me excited about the future, but that's not the end of it. There's a but. But the sorrow will turn to joy. The sorrow is not permanent. It's not going to stay that way. And that's, again, he's speaking definitely here. It's not your sorrow might turn to joy. It will turn to joy. And to further elaborate this point, he gives the analogy in verse 21 of a woman in childbirth. There's a lot of stuff I can speak on authority, with authority about. We want to talk about comics. We want to talk about movies. We're set. I've, I've got a lot of experience. Not with here. But I did talk to a bunch of people, I have several friends, family members, who do have experience in that area. And they did a test that what Christ said here is reflective of reality. Uh, again, I'm just going to read again just to refresh us. It's verse 21. Read with me. He says, When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. The pain is great. Again, I can't personally attest, but I've been told the pain is great. It's not an exciting time. But the joy of the child after, it's enough to even almost forget the pain that came before. Now, it doesn't necessarily wipe the memory, but it's, it's a greater joy than the great pain was. Um, I was going to say, yeah. So, yeah, the joy greater than the pain. I was just, just a little note here. The word that's used here for, for suffering, it's the same word we see in Revelation when we're talking about tribulation. Yeah, Jesus is not sugarcoating for uh, the, the pain that comes. It's, it's a great pain, same word we use later for tribulation. But thankfully, it is not permanent, but it's going to happen. Verse 22, continuing. So he, he's, he explains his analogy. Verse 22, read with me. So, but like this analogy, so you also have sorrow now, but I'll see you again. 
Your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy from you. The disciples were standing on the precipice of a rough couple of days. At this point, they're hours away from the, the beginning of the events that lead to the crucifixion of Christ. Just hours away. So what's immediately ahead is what he's talking about for them. This childbirth, the pangs, the suffering of right now, or it's, it's about to happen. And just as a reminder for us, what they're about to see of these next few days is rough. They're about to see Jesus, their rabbi, their teacher, their friend. They spent the last three years with him. They're about to see him betrayed, betrayed by one of their friends who's been with them these three years. They're about to see him be arrested by the authorities. They're about to see him go through a trial, and that's bad enough, but it's a sham trial, a trial where, things, where he's lied about. Then they're going to see him beaten. Beyond that, they're going to see him tortured. And then they're going to see him killed. And not just a quick death, a slow, extremely painful death. This is what Christ is talking about for these disciples. This is the suffering that's immediately ahead for them. But it's not the end, right? We know what's going to happen just a few days later. And that's the second little while you'll see me again. That suffering will turn to joy because they will see him arisen from the dead. So what about us? So Christ here is warning the disciples about this forthcoming time of suffering, of seeing him suffer, seeing him die. We know how that ends, though. So, so what, what, what do we take from this, even though we, we know how these things turn out in our hindsight and history? We still have tough times to get through. We're not exempt from the tough times. We looked just last week at what Christ said to the disciples. He said, I have told you these things to keep you from stumbling. They will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering service to God. They will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. Just like the disciples, we can and likely will suffer in this life because of our uh, following Christ. We live, even though he's been judged, we live at the mercy of the one who has power in this world, Satan. And we also live in the world full of people who sin, and sin often can cause harm to other people. But just as their sorrow, their pain was temporary, so is ours. A time's going to come, Revelation tells us, when Christ returns, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is talking about... Christians, followers of him, wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. It's going to be a new creation. Well, that's great. That gives us the, that's our hope. That's our future security. We know that's what's ahead. But what about now? I mean, that's great. That's wonderful, fantastic. Can give us peace of mind. But what now? We still live in a world where there is grief, there is death, there is pain, there is crying. So what do we do? Christ gave the answer here, verses 23 and 24. Just as for them, this comes back to our prayer. 
I'm just going to read with me verse 23 and 24. In that day you will not ask me anything. Truly I tell you, anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be complete. Christ's death on the cross was a big event. Did a lot of things. One thing in particular is it changed the dynamic between us, people, sinful people, and the perfect, holy, just God. Up to this point, people couldn't, couldn't relate directly to God, God the Father. We had priests that prayed on our behalf. We had the Holy of Holies, right? Remember, one of the things that the Gospels show us that happened when Christ died was that, that tearing of the veil, right? That veil was the separation between God and us. That's torn. That's over now. We now, as Christ said right here, we ask the Father. We can now pray directly to the Father. 1 Timothy 2 tells us how we can do that. It's because of Christ. For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. Because of Christ, we can now talk directly to God the Father. And what do you say right here? Anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. That's great news. I don't know about you guys. That hypes me up because one of the, when I was growing up, one of the biggest, newest Disney movies at the time was Aladdin. And then Aladdin has that big blue guy, the genie, right? Robin Williams. And he just gave three wishes. But that was awesome. The guy you could just ask three wishes for. I don't see a number here. Ask anything and he will give it. So God, please, um, so just think of things to ask for. Wipe out my student loan account. Just put that at zero. I don't, I don't want it. I don't need it. That's just, just wipe it out, God. What else can I ask? This is God the Father. He can give me anything. Um, limitless financial resources. Just I can think of so many things I can do with limitless financial resources. Uh, please, you know, perfect health. Just make me a, you know, just make me look like LeBron James. Just perfect, perfect health, perfect human specimen. Just, God, I know you can do it because God's omnipotent. He can do anything. Please, you know, we're here in Kansas City. We love our sports teams, Chiefs, Royals. Make them successful. That would make us so happy. God the Father, you can do that. Or me with my Auburn Tigers. Make, make them better than they are. Just, just do it. He can do it. That's what he's saying here, right? Ask the Father, and he will do it. It's not quite what it's saying here, is it? In my name is what he says. Ask the Father for things in my name. Well, that just means I can, I can pray those prayers, I can ask God for those things, in Jesus' name, amen. Then he'll do it. I don't think that's quite right. Well, what's, what's the answer here? He's actually been answering this for a while. Let's look back, uh, just a couple chapters back, chapter 14, verse 13. He's gonna, he answers this in a couple of parts here. 14, 13, he says, Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So things that are prayed in Jesus' name are things that bring glory to the Father. And we look back throughout Scripture. This is the motivation for God, for what He does, His glory. We looked at Psalm 23 just last week. It's a great passage. We love it. He's our shepherd, leads us by still waters. Why? 
for his name's sake. That's God's motivation throughout Scripture, throughout history. He came back to this again in just the previous chapter, chapter 15, verses 7 and 8. We looked at this just a couple weeks ago. He says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. That's another one that looks great, right? Ask whatever you want and it'll be done. There's another if there. There's another caveat there. If, if we are perfectly remaining or abiding in him and keeping his words perfectly in us, we can ask for anything and he'll give it. If we're living like that. Now just show of hands. Does anybody here think that they are perfectly abiding or remaining in Christ and 100% perfectly remaining and keeping his word in him? I know I'm not. I'm not going to raise my hand. That's, I'm not there. None of us are there. Still go for it. Make the effort. Do the best we can. So we're not perfectly there. None of us are there. We're not sanctified yet. We're in the process of becoming like Christ. So how do we know what glorifies God? Just earlier this chapter, chapter 16, verse 8, I believe. No, 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 no. I apologize. What we just read, chapter 15, verse 8. What do he say? So my Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Well, now we're just all confused. How do we produce fruit? Grow apples off my arm? Oranges? Nah. If only we had a passage here in our scriptures where God describes what exactly the fruit of a believer is. We have one. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 God told us through the Apostle Paul, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. So our prayers, if they're truly in Jesus' name and glorifying God, will be things that produce the fruit. If it doesn't, like the things I expressed a desire for just a moment ago, then we're not praying for things really in Jesus' name. And God is not held to that, God has not made the promise to give those things. Now, God is gracious. He loves me. He loves all of us. He, he can answer prayers that aren't necessarily in his name, but those aren't the ones he's promised to answer, to answer yes to. It's important for us not to hold God to the promises that he hasn't made. He has promised to answer yes, to bring about the things we pray for that are in Jesus' name, things that glorify God, things that bring about fruit. So that's the challenge for us, for our prayers to be for things that bring about fruit, that, that would glorify God. And anything we ask for, that's the promise here, anything we ask for that fits that criteria He's promised. He will answer it. He will give it. So to sum this up, Christ was preparing his disciples for a particular event. It was the, the immediate couple of days that were ahead of them. 
some very traumatic, horrible things they were about to witness. So even though we, with our hindsight, with our knowledge of history, with the scriptures, we know how those events turned out. We don't necessarily have to be warned about those events because we know how it turned out. But the principle is still here for us today. We can and likely will endure some type of suffering for the cause of Christ. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were, happen- were happening to you. Don't be surprised. It's normal. It's not unusual. When we, as Christians, go through pain, suffering, the fiery ordeal, And the suffering, the pain, it can be great. It can be horrible. He compared it to childbirth. Um, it's rough. I've been told. But while the suffering is great, the pain is great. And again, same word used for tribulation. The joy that comes after is even greater. far outweighs what it took to get there. In the same way, the happiness of the child outweighs the process of childbirth. So again, that's great. We have the future. We know there's goodness ahead. But we're still here in the now. There's still death. There's still pain. There's still suffering. There's still tears. So... And Christ is gone. Christ returned to heaven. We know where he is. He's at the right hand of the Father. It was closed. So, but so what do we do in the meantime? Did he leave us as orphans? We've just looked at this. No, he did not. We have the gift of the Spirit to help us out. The Spirit helps remind us of the things he said. It can remind us of what we just looked at today. And it can comfort us. Give us peace, even in the tough times. And then in addition, we have this gift, this blessing of being able now to talk directly to the Father. No more veil separating us. We don't need someone to talk to God on our behalf. We can talk to the Father directly. And anything we ask in Jesus' name, which means that it glorifies God by producing fruit, yet we have a promise he will give it. Great news for us who are Christians. Now, if you're here today, you're not a follower of God, not a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm sure today sounds great. We can record today. We can put it on posters. We can create TV spots. Makes it sound great. If this was a recruiting video, there's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering compared to childbirth. Sign me up. It'd be wrong to sugarcoat it. It'd be wrong to lie. Until Christ returns, there's very much the potential, strong likelihood of a tough, tough life. That's no different than for everybody else. Everybody lives in this world. Pain, suffering, tragedy. So whether you're a follower of Christ or not, pain's still there. Suffering's still there. The difference for the Christian is we get help through the tough times. 
We have help through the Spirit. And we have hope in the future. Confidence in where we're get, what, how things are going to turn out. We can skip to the end of the book. God wins and makes things great, makes things perfect. So we have that hope of that future and the help for now. So if you're here today, you haven't followed Christ, today's the day. If you follow Christ, believe in him, believe in what he did on the cross. We talked a little bit about it. He died on the cross to take the penalty for our sins, which we cannot do for ourselves. So if you follow him, believe in that perfect sacrifice, follow him as Lord, that gift of the Spirit that we who are already Christians have can be yours too. And the good old days will be ahead, not behind. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the many gifts that you give. Chief among them yourself in Christ as a sacrifice for us, taking the penalty for our sins, which are many, a penalty we could not pay on our own. Father, please help us to remember your promises that you give us in your word. And to remember to, you know, we, we hold you, we expect the, the fulfillment of the promises that you gave. We ask that you help us to not hold you to promises you didn't give. You didn't promise to answer just anything we say or ask for or anything we just tag in Jesus' name at the end of it. That's not what you promised. So thank you for the gift of the Spirit that helps us with these things, helps us to remember and helps us with the peace and comfort in the times of suffering. Thank you for that gift. We do ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 8200 State Line Road in Leewood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. Music